0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is our midst. Thank you. I greet you on this final Sunday before we set sail on the Sea of Great Lent. Cheese Fair Sunday, the last day that we eat meat, and our, not, not meat, the last day we eat dairy products. Last week was the last one for meat. And today's also more importantly than it just being that day where we transition from not eating certain things to eating other things. We call it the remembrance the lot of humanity. It's the Sunday of the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise. We remember the great tragedy that happened, that we all participate in the separation of man from God. The submission of oneself to one's own will, giving in to the the myth or delusion of autonomy, as if there is life apart from God. You and I have all been partakers of the food that was not to be consumed. The food from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The fathers of the church teach in a simple way that the first sin, among among other things, was a failure to fast. Our first parents were told, "Do not eat of this, you can eat anything you want. but do not eat of this, this one thing." I'm constantly reminding people and the man in the mirror, that there is no freedom without restraint. If you can do everything, and you, without being able to say no to yourself, then you're not free. And God understood this. He wanted to afford us the dignity of our personhood, those created with free will, most truly. So He granted us a challenge. You can do all of this, but not this. Don't eat this. And even the fathers of the church teach don't eat this yet. Teaching that eventually, with time and with maturation, Adam and Eve, who were newly formed, newly formed, innocent, but not mature yet, would have been granted the ability to even partake of that fruit freely. But first they had to be able to say no. And they failed at that, and we, and we fail at that. What is the antidote to our, fail, to our failure to fast? What's the correction to it? Fasting, the practice of fasting, what you fast from, how exactly you fast, all of that is secondary to the realization that we need to learn this exercise of restraint. I always like to call to mind the teaching that I heard that was handed down from an Athenite monk. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Did I say faithfulness? Self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Self-control. And you can see how I did it from top to bottom. Because I heard this teaching that those are set up as the rungs of a ladder. And in order to be able to ascend to love, you have to first have self-control. Otherwise, you don't, we don't understand what love is. It's all about me or my emotion or how, or how I feel, what I want. And therefore, it's not about true love at all, love of God and love of others, that kenotic, that self-giving love. It's about a self-satisfying parody of love, which the fathers called philophtia, self-love, which is not love at all. So we, the institution of fasting has become necessary for humanity in order to get back on track and to correct what has been flawed in our lives. This lack of self-control. How you fast, the quantity of food you eat, all those details those can be worked out and they must be, they must be, but they won't make sense to you and they will come as an intense burden on you if you first don't understand what, what transgression and what failure we're seeking to correct by fasting. And a little popular phrase about fasting is that fasting without prayer is just a diet. Fasting without prayer is just a diet. And we're, we want to go on a diet from sin. Like for our whole life. Let's try to diet from sin. Okay. Um, but. The result of fasting from. Heavy foods. Rich. You know. I'm not giving you a nutrition lesson. But rich and satisfying foods. Sumptuous foods. It is. It is physically beneficial for us. But again, that's not nearly as important. Because what happens is, when we're weighed down by our constant desire for satisfaction, it's like we're walking around with concrete shoes on. It's hard for the, for us to ascend to heaven. It's hard for us even to look up to heaven in prayer. Because we're so burdened by our subjection to our own passions. So it's the... Sunday of the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise because they separated themselves from God. And the human condition is a result of, is the natural consequence of that. The punishment is self-inflicted, the byproduct of our own mistakes. And we can see that in our own lives. And now you and I, we've inherited an illness, an illness that we're seeking to be healed from. And the church expertly leads us, leads us on the path of healing. If we're willing to take the teaching of the church seriously, and that's the question. Am I willing to take the teaching of the church seriously? Not just superficially. I wrote to you guys a little letter, let's take a journey of the heart. You know, it requires the body. You can't disembody the heart. The heart is connected to you. And you rely on it physically and spiritually. But when you go into that place and take that journey, it starts to integrate your being. Soul and body. Physical and spiritual. Because that's that's what happened when God created us. He took the dust of the earth and He breathed his breath into it. And He made you and I. Not so that we could be weighed down by the things of the earth, but Glorified. Lifted up, drawn to God by them. So that's a very important lesson for us to hear today. It's also called Forgiveness Sunday. Forgiveness Sunday. And if there is one thing that is distinctive of Christians, it should be that our life is defined by our need for forgiveness for the mistakes that we've made. And our ability to forgive. Ironically, Christians are not known for being forgiving people. They're generally known for being uptight and judgmental. Uptight and judgmental. That's a great tragedy. For those who claim to understand that the uncreated became as if created. The the unbounded became wrapped in human flesh, in order to convey his love and his forgiveness to us. With what great humility God became man. And uh, we take that forgiveness and and eat it like a candy bar, you know. We take it quickly, like a quick fix. It's mine and, and not yours. And that's something that we also need to correct in our lives. Um... Our first parents failed to fast. They also failed to ask for forgiveness and to forgive. When they failed to fast, God appeared to them and said, What happened? You know the story. The church also teaches that they were being, at that moment, they were being given the opportunity to say we disobeyed you. Please forgive us. Please forgive. But like you and I would have done. They blamed each other and God. She, the woman you gave me, did this. And then she says, the serpent did it. And it doesn't matter. A failure to ask for forgiveness and then a failure to forgive. Blaming is always a failure to forgive. And I think blaming is is one of the most uh, tantalizing sweetnesses and delusions that we experience on this earth. And I really want to hit home today and ask that this becomes something that defines our life together and Something of the life of this community is that this is a people who don't, who don't go around and blame other people, blame one another, blame the world, blame this politician. We, one of the foremost ascetical efforts I want to take personally this great Lent, and I want to challenge you with, is do not blame you don't know what to say other than a blaming word then just hold it in and say God I don't I don't even know how to speak other than to blame right now because I'm so frustrated so therefore I have to appeal to you because I don't know what to say maybe forgive me maybe that's appropriate but do not blame blaming is the opposite of forgiving because it's subjecting someone else in your mind to their inadequacies and their sins. And if you're defined by your sins, then you're just as inadequate as they are. If I'm defined by my sins, then I have nothing to say. But we don't believe that we're defined by our sins, and therefore we cannot treat others as if they're defined by their sins and mistakes. I always like to remind people that there's a reason we can see the sins and flaws in others, because we have a great familiarity with them ourselves. If you see someone else making a mistake, maybe you need to say, instead of, they're such a liar, or whatever. They're so vain Maybe I need to pause and ask myself, am I I struggling with vanity? That person is so violent. Am I violent? And in what ways? Before projecting that on other people and blaming them, ask yourself in all sincerity not to condemn yourself like the way you would want to condemn them, but to admit once again that your heart needs to be softened, that you need forgiveness, And therefore, you need to forgive as well. Forgiveness, I wrote down a couple things about forgiveness. Forgiveness frees us from the delusion that we have some kind of control over others by harboring resentments. Forgiveness frees us from the delusion that my life could be better or that I am better by being angry and standing in judgment over others. Forgiveness frees us from that. When we delude ourselves into thinking that we can somehow bind others by blaming them and holding judgments against them, rather than binding them, we straightjacket ourselves. When we think that we can bind others in our mind by judging them, all we're doing is we're tightening our own straightjacket. And you you might feel a mild sense of satisfaction, but it's a sacrament sweetness. But it's impossible, but it's impossible, it's impossible. To harbor a negative thought about another person when we're actually cultivating the remembrance of God. The church isn't just here to tell us what we're doing wrong to, to browbeat you as I heard someone I just learned that term browbeat we're not here just to the church isn't here just to browbeat you to beat you down and to say you're not what you should be it's like you already know that I already know that the church is also constantly telling us what we were created to be free from hatred free from resentments even even a little, I'm not going to say you're going to be totally free from sin, but a little less bound by sin in your life. She shows us the way how to do it. She shows us the path. You guys probably know, I read a lot of books about prayer, and I read a lot of ascetical literature, and there was one one quote that keeps sticking with me. It goes like this. How is it even possible for you to become prideful when you desire nothing else in the world except to find a crack in a rock or some opening in the earth and there to incline your head and weep for the rest of your life. Weep. Why? Weep. Weep with Adam. Weep because of Adam. Weep because you are Adam. Weep because we all share in the suffering and the consequence of our collective sin. And also weep because we, we know that God loves us even though we don't deserve it. And what is that crack or that rock or crevice in the earth for you or I? The place of the heart. The quiet moment of prayer. You may not be living in some desolate you know, desert in the middle of nowhere like a monk or a nun. You don't need to. Actually, if you read the writings of many spiritual fathers, they'll say that life isn't suited to many of us. But the Lord tells us, when you pray, retreat into the closet to pray. That's the crack in the crevice, that quiet place, that place where there's no room for wandering thoughts or judgment, but only a desperate desire for the constant remembrance of God. You don't know what to say. Lord. Say, Lord, I, I don't know what to say. You don't know what to think. Say, God, I don't know what to think. Have mercy on me. Cry out to him. I didn't think I had much to say. I brought this book today called Prayers by the Lake. I thought there's one poem written by St. Nikolai Velimirovich that could have just been the homily itself today. Kind of a, um, not too long, not too short. But I decided I wanted to end the homily today by reading this, this prayer on forgiveness and especially on blessing my enemies. And who, who is our enemy? That, but anyone that we, we would perceive as any kind of threat in our life. And how do we know when we're perceiving of someone as a threat? We constantly, we want to retaliate and we want to blame. We bite back. We want to respond with a shove. And that's the opposite of the life of love and tenderness that we want to cultivate here, especially during this holy season. So I pray that God would grant us a sustained change as we take seriously the opportunity that he's giving us in the days to come. And I'll end by reading this beautiful poem from the book, Prayers by the Lake. This would be great uh, Lenten reading. There's a different cover, so there's a different, if, you, if you're interested, we have it in the bookstore, if you're interested in it. Series of kind of poems or hymns that could be done for a devotional reflection. It goes like this. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into your embrace more than friends have. Friends have bound me to the earth. Enemies have loosed me from the earth and have demolished all my aspirations in the world. Enemies have made me a stranger in worldly realms and an extraneous inhabitant of the world. Just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal... So have I, persecuted by enemies, found the safest sanctuary, having ensconced myself beneath your tabernacle, where neither friends nor enemies can slay my soul. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. Rather than I, they, rather than I, have confessed my sins before the world. They have flagellated me when I've hesitated to flagellate myself. They've tormented me whenever I have tried to flee torments. They have scolded me whenever I have flattered myself. They have spat upon me whenever I have filled myself with arrogance. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Whenever I have made myself wise, they have called me foolish. Whenever I have made myself mighty, they have mocked me as though I were a dwarf. Whenever I have wanted to lead people, they have shoved me to the background. Whenever I have rushed to enrich myself, they have prevented me with an iron hand. Whenever I thought that I would sleep peacefully, they have wakened me from sleep. Whenever I have tried to build a home for a long and tranquil life, they have demolished it and driven me out. Truly, enemies have cut me loose from the world and have stretched out my hands to the hem of your garment. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Bless them and multiply them. Multiply them and make them even more bitterly against me so that my fleeing to you may have no return. So that all hope and men may be scattered like cobwebs. So that absolute serenity may begin to reign in my soul. So that my heart may become the grave of my two evil twins, arrogance and anger so that I might amass all my treasure in heaven. Ah, so that I may for once be freed from self-deception, which has entangled me in the dreadful web of illusory life. Enemies have taught me to know what hardly anyone knows, that a person has no enemies in the world except himself. One hates his enemies only when he fails to realize that they are not enemies, but cruel friends. This is truly difficult for me to say who has done me more good and who has done me more evil in the world, friends or enemies? Therefore, bless, O Lord, both my friends and my enemies. A slave curses enemies for he does not understand, but a son blesses them for he understands. For a son knows that his enemies cannot touch his life. Therefore he freely steps among them and prays to God for them. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. By treading this path of blessedness, may our beautiful Savior grant us to behold the celebration of his glorious and selfless resurrection, always, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.